Well, I want to pray. I know we've done a lot of that already, but I, I think we just, uh, I really need prayer. You guys probably use it too. Lord, we just come before you, and God, we thank you for the weather working for our good. Lord, we thank you for bringing us together and making this whole tent thing a reality. God, we have come to honor you, and Lord, I ask that you give me grace to say what your spirit is saying. And uh, give us ears to hear you. God, I pray that you renew our minds and that you would give us great faith tonight. God, I pray that you literally transform the way that we think. That we would not think in terms of poverty. We would think in terms of abundance. In Jesus' name, amen. If I, if I can change mics if this is, becomes an issue. Whatever you guys say, I can't hear myself as well. as. All right, let's just do that. Right, I got to work with one hand, but I can do it. All right, so um, for most of you aware, you know, we're doing a series on the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit. And we, uh, over the course of a couple of months, we, we wanted feedback. We wanted to hear your questions. And so we, we handed out these, these little, thi- you know, sheets of paper and we asked people to fill it out. And so then we, we looked at these questions and that those in, in the, our church had, and, and we um, kind of compartmentalized it by categories and what we felt like, how they all fit together, and tried to make a roadmap according to that. And if you were here last week, Pastor Tim nailed it. He talked about really the person of the Holy Spirit. And, and just to kind of reiterate, because I, I believe it's so foundational to everything else, when you talk about the Holy Spirit, a lot of times people are scared, they're weirded out, they think of it as a force, and they kind of view it like a Jedi thing, where you just kind of can do things and cause, you know, supernatural things because you have this force you're connected with. But as you look at Scripture, what you, what you see as you look at the Scriptures is that the Holy Spirit is a person. And everything, I believe, is based off of the identity. And so when you, you talk about the Holy Spirit, we're not just talking about fire. We're not just talking about wind. We are talking about a relationship, and it's, we have a, a, a relational God, and so tonight I'm talking to you guys about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't think Tim could have given me a more edgy topic, except for next week, Tim's going to be talking about tongues, so he gets the, yeah, he wins, but I get, I get, I get the second, the second most edgy, because if you have been around the Christian world for any amount of time, you know that everybody and their grandmother has an opinion on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And there's so much misunderstanding, and there's so much um, confusion concerning it. But also, as we looked over the questions, we also saw a lot of the pain. Because for a lot of people that attend Abundant Life Fellowship, a lot of the questions kind of started sounding a lot alike. And they they kind of came back to this idea of why is it that this person gets prayed for to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and this other person or myself 
wants, wants the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I, nothing happened for me. Well, how come God touched them and God didn't touch me? So then we say things like, well, maybe it's because there's something wrong with me. Maybe it's because I'm doing something wrong. And so we can, we can kind of start to lay some blame on ourselves and kind of think that this whole thing works like a vending machine. Like, you know, you got to tap it two times and kick it once, and you got to have enough faith. And if you do things the right way, then God will pour out His Spirit on you. And so we can kind of start thinking, well, is there something wrong with me? Am I really saved? And so for some of us, it's, it's, it's because of wrong teaching. So for some of us, it's literally because of bad experiences. I've had many conversations you know, over lunch or over coffee where people are saying things to me like, you know, well, I tried, you know, to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I had people telling me that I needed to just start, you know, just start talking, just start saying things like, you know, should have bought a Hyundai and, and uh, Suzuki, and are we, am I doing okay with the mic here? Do I need another mic change? What is, what is my deal? Sorry. Well, this is going to be a good sermon. I can feel it. I can feel it. All right. So there's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of hurt. Like I was saying, my wife, Rachel, I remember, um, you know, in her early years of being together, she was really wore down, greatly frustrated, because no matter how much she got prayed for, she was the, the, the person got prayed for the most and the longest. And if you know my wife, Rachel, she's like the godliest person you ever met. And so a lot of times we kind of think that, that the baptism is a reward, or we think that the baptism is a sign of God's approval. And sometimes we think that the baptism is somewhere to, like, to arrive, like, I, I've done that, been there, done that. I got my patch, you know, like I'm a Cub Scout or something. And so I want to I kind of talk to you about this idea that the baptism is not really a place to arrive like I've arrived, but it's actually a place to live. And I want to say to you just outright that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the scriptures refer to it as a gift. So if it's a gift, then it's not based off of your works. It's not based off of you doing everything just right. And so right off the bat, I just want to encourage you, because I have seen people that are not very godly get it like that. And I have seen people that are baby Christians get saved and get it like that. And then I've seen some of the godliest people I know, in, in some cases, go years of seeking God before they experience the baptism. So I want to talk to you today, um, hope, hopefully this will not only bring clarity because of so much misunderstanding, 
but I'm really hoping that it will bring healing to a lot of us because there is just a lot of pain. There's a lot of pain as it pertains to this. So I want to I wanna start by laying a foundation. I gotta, I'll use my water bottle to hold my paper there. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7. This is great. I hope you're enjoying this. This is a great time. All right. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. This is uh, King Solomon. This is, you know, he, they built the temple. This is an Old Testament picture of a New Testament reality. So in verse 1, it says, When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple, and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord, because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down, and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement, and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. So, I want to kind of give you an idea here because there's imagery in this passage that is going to help us understand the New Testament. So in the Old Testament, they had a temple, and Solomon had a temple built. And to make a long story short, there are different, so to speak, areas of this temple. But the Ark of the Covenant is where God's presence would rest. Now, we, we know that God is everywhere. We know God is in Israel, and God is, you know, it. In Kentucky, and God's right over there. God is everywhere. He's, he's omnipresent. But God rested in one location on the earth in a special way. And he rested upon what's called the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was in a special place called the Holy of Holies, or the Most Holy Place. So normal people cannot go into that place but only the high priest could go there on special occasions. So, what happens here is there's another compartment, which is the holy place. It's like the vice president. It's like the second best thing. And that's kind of where the priest could go. And then you had more of the outer courts. And you, I, I don't know all the nitty-gritty. I forget even when I learn this stuff. But the big idea is I want you to see that there's multiple locations, but one location where the presence of God would dwell. And it was kind of in the center of everything. So, so, where was God's presence? In the temple. Where did the presence reside? In the Holy of Holies. But in this instance, and it happened on many occasions, the Holy Spirit would fill not just its residing location, but it would fill every nook and cranny in a special, dynamic way and go you know, throughout the entire temple. So the priests at this point are unable to do their job because they can't go in there because the, the weight and the fullness of God is just so heavy. And so you see this happening quite a few times in the Old Testament. So I want you to see this because this is a picture of a New Testament reality. And the New Testament reality is found in a very simple idea that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, the Apostle Paul is talking here to Christians, and quite honestly, ones that were sinning a lot. And so, he's bringing a lot of correction 
And in the middle of dealing with their sexual immorality, in verse 19, he says, Or do you not know, this is Christians, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, right? Did it say that? Who is in you? Whom you have from God, and you are not your own. So, we were made in the image of God. And that's probably more complicated than I even understand or can explain to you. But one of the things that we, we know from the scripture is that we are a triune being. As human beings, we are made in the image of God. And so we are spirit, we are soul, and we are body. Okay? You are in the image of God. You are in the image of a trinity. So when you become born again, where does the Holy Spirit go? Well, we know the Holy Spirit's everywhere, but the Holy Spirit dwells in the most holy place because you are a temple, and that is your spirit. So your spirit is like connected to the Holy Spirit, and that is is where the Holy Spirit dwells in the life of the believer. And so in the Old Testament, you see this reality that these people had a temple, and God was in the temple, but his presence manifested outside of one location in unique situations. In the same way, when you believe on Jesus, and you invite Jesus into your life, the, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, comes into your spirit, into your most holy place, and is joined, and there's a oneness in that relationship. In that relationship, you have acceptance. You have been adopted into the family. You are the beloved. And there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. There is no spiritual thing you could ever do to make God think more highly of you. God is enamored with you. He already went after you before you were born by giving his son Jesus Christ. And when he put his spirit in our hearts, we now can cry, Abba, Father, because we know our identity as children of God. So that when we understand that the person of God is living inside of you everywhere you go, you are a temple. You are accepted. And there is no gift, no spiritual thing that you can do to make yourself a first-rate Christian. You have everything that you need because God, God has brought you into his family and you are a son and you are a daughter. And he is just all about you. I think a lot of times we just, we, we miss this big idea because we think, well, I've got to read my Bible more and I've got to pray in tongues and I've got to get the baptism as though it's just get it, get it done because then God will accept me. Then God will love me. And so I just want to encourage you as a foundational point that this is Old Testament thing we're going to see in the New Testament. And so now I want to go to John chapter 20. This is Jesus talking. And uh, it's kind of towards the latter end of his ministry on earth before he gets taken up. 
And we're going to pick it up in verse 21. Now, tonight, for the sake of time, I literally, we could, I could literally hold you for three hours, like literally with that much content. But I like you. And so, and so we're going we're gonna to travel lightly on this. So if you have questions later, I would love to talk to you about it. But, you know, it, you feel like a false teacher sometimes when you don't really dig into things. But I'm going to travel lightly on a lot of passages, okay? So, uh, verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, that's his disciples, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And so we see here, in this moment, the resurrected Jesus, who is on the earth for a period of time, I believe 40 days, and he says to them, listen, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. Now, when you read the Bible, it helps you understand the, there's a difference between the Holy Spirit being in you versus the Holy Spirit being upon you. Okay? The Holy Spirit is in you because you're a child of God. The Holy Spirit is in the Holy of Holies because he accepts you. The Holy Spirit comes upon you because you need power. Okay? So in this moment, Jesus is talking to them not about a future reality, about the Holy Spirit coming upon them. In this moment, he is literally breathing on them and saying, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. You are being regenerated. You are being born again. I am literally breathing the Spirit upon you, and now you are regenerated in a brand new creation. That's the reality that we see here. Now, a little bit further in the story, we're going to go to Acts chapter 1. Jesus is still on the earth, and he is literally just about to, I want to say head out the door, but it's more like go up in the clouds. So, Acts chapter 1, verse 4. If you have your Bible with you, I do have these on here, but if you have your Bible, I think it'd be great, especially as we travel through the book of Acts. You, you'll get more out of it. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Okay. And being assembled together with them, he, that's Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. So, I love that. The promise. There's a promise that I have for you. Stay right here. Don't leave. Don't try to do anything else until what I promised you comes. Which, he said, you have heard from me. For John, that's John the Baptist, truly baptized with water. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So we see here, this is, this is just very, you know, 101 Christianity, but a lot of people are afraid of these verses. Because it's kind of, you know, a lot of people are like, well, is it still for now? And what is it like? And, you know, there's all kinds of people that struggle with this for one reason or another. But the scriptures say, according to Jesus, 
that Jesus is going to give us, uh, Pastor Tim talked about this, a uh, paraclete, one who comes and stands alongside, who comes to our aid to help us. And he says, this is the point. This is why the Holy Spirit is going to come upon his people. Not so much to bring acceptance, because you already got that, but, to re- but you need to receive power. That is, that's the goal. That is the big idea, according to Jesus. Because a lot of times, we get, ca- get caught up on evidence. Did you speak with tongues? Do you have evidence? And so a lot of times, we make the goal, come, get prayed for. Why? So you can speak in tongues. That's evidence. And it is a wonderful gift. But that's not the focal point that Jesus is saying. He's not saying to his disciples, listen, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll prophesy. Well, they will. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll speak in tongues. Well, they will. But, that, but what Jesus is saying here, the big idea is you need power. You need power. You cannot do, I'm giving you an impossible job. I'm sending you all over the earth to completely turn this world upside down. And a few hundred of you, or however many there are, is not enough to change the world. But you can if my spirit comes upon you. And that looks like the glory of God filling the entire temple. Is this making sense? You guys with me? All right, now... A couple of things I want to say before we start really digging into things. And that is, is, so one of the questions somebody had was, what's the official position of Abundant Life Fellowship, you know, with the evidence of speaking in tongues? And so the official position, which I, I hate to say it because I feel like it's a trigger for some people, and they instantly shut me down. So I just want to encourage you, no matter what I say, please hear me out tonight. Don't shut down because you've been taught something else or because you just don't like me. So, the official position is that we believe that the initial evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is speaking in, a, in another language. Now, a lot of people don't like that idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They don't like the idea of speaking in tongues because it's weird. And I'll be honest with you, it's really weird. It's really weird. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this in the coming weeks, so I'm not going to take a long time on this. But that is the official position. With that said, one of the things that, you know, when you start digging into the Scriptures and you start answering questions, one of the things you discover very quickly is that there's a lot of things that I wish the Bible was more clear about. I wish God would just blatantly, or Paul, or somebody, just go through point one, point two, point three on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But you cannot find, you cannot find what I wish was in the Bible, because when you read Paul's writings, he's mostly just correcting their screw-ups. So he's not, he's not really focusing on teaching people on how the baptism fully works. So most of what we know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit is actually by observing stories in the book of Acts. So we don't have, you know, a scripture verse that says, if you speak in tongues, that means you're baptized. There is no such thing. And so because of that, I would say that while I and Tim, and and I'm sure many of you here, we believe that if, if you speak in tongues, that's a sign of it. We could very well be wrong. 
So it's not, in my mind, a sticking point or worth arguing about. But I do want you to look at the book of Acts. So we're going to go through a, a, quite a few stories here in the book of Acts, rather lightly. But I want, to, I want you to see what it looked like and what we can learn from these stories. So the first one is Acts chapter 2, obviously very famous. Kevin, I think, already kind of read it, but I'll, I'll reiterate it. In Acts chapter 2, very famous passage, it says, so this is 10 days after Jesus leaves. His disciples have been waiting for the promise, and the promise shows up. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. Could you imagine I mean, I know Ke Kevin already hit on this, but I was like, there's fire on your head, Kevin. <laughs> and, and verse 4, and they were all filled, that's a big word, filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I don't have time to go into the why or the how, but I want you to see here is that they were physical manifestations, and they could see things happening, and there was a sound, but specifically, they spoke in tongues. When they spoke in tongues, when people heard the sound of the wind, there was already a festival in town, and a bunch of people were in town from other countries. So thousands of people who were at a festival come to the sound, and they hear in their own language, many of them, people speaking in another language, and, it, and, and they can tell you, oh, they're, they're talking about God, and they're talking about this, and they're praising God. And they're like, what is going on? And people are confused. Now, I know a lot of people think that if the Holy Spirit's involved, there will be no confusion. That's not exactly what the scriptures say. But it says, it said that in uh, verse 12, so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this mean? So God moves and people get confused. And others mocking said, they're full of new wine. They said, these guys are drunk. Now, why would they be accused of being drunk? Because they were acting drunk. I know it's a complicated question, but yes, they were acting drunk. How could that be God? Well, God gets to do what he wants to do. So, so the, the scriptures say, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So there is something intoxicating about the Holy Spirit. And it, sometimes when people encounter the Holy Spirit, they literally can wobble. I, I've had a few experiences where I've been touched by the Holy Spirit, where I feel extremely weak, and I need to sit down. That's, I mean, but some people get really hot. Some people cry. But it's a response to the Holy Spirit. So I want you to see physical, tangible evidence. Not just, oh, I had this thought in my head. I, I must have received the baptism. Literally, something happened and there was physical things happening in the natural realm. 
to reveal to them that they had experienced something dynamic. So I want to move forward and go to uh, Acts chapter 4. So this is just a little bit further down the road. Acts chapter 4. If you, if you have your Bible, please pull it up. Uh, verse 31. So the disciples are who we're talking about in this, in this verse. So here we go. And when they, the disciples, had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. So I want you to see this here. The same people that were baptized. Now the word baptized means immersed. It's the term they would use for a, a ship that would get sunk at sea. So when a person receives the baptism, they are immersed. They are dunked, in a sense, in the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know why, because there's no teaching on this, but when you look at the book of Acts, you'll discover a pattern. And that is, is the first time it happens to a person, it's called a baptism. After that, it gets called being filled. So, there is not just one and done. This will completely revolutionize our church if we can understand this. Because who here thinks they've arrived and doesn't need more power? Who here could use more boldness? So the reality is, is God is inside of you, but we want him to fill us again. Because when he fills us again, one of the things we see in, in verse 31, they spoke the word of God with boldness. So th one of the answers for a lot of our problems is to be filled again. All right. So now, going to Acts chapter 8. Now this is about Philip. One of the disciples, we're going to pick it up in verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes, with one accord, heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, how would you like that for church, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in the city. So Philip shows up with power. Demons are cast out. People are healed. Lives get saved and transformed. So there's a full-on outbreak of the Holy Spirit. And it brings joy and revival. Verse 9. But there was a certain man called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city, and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded, or listened to him, because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. So this person dabbles with the demonic realm and knows power. Okay? So, where was I? Uh, verse 12, thank you, John. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. So we see here, all this supernatural stuff is happening, 
And I want you to see, people are saved. They are Christians. They are being baptized in water. Now, Philip would never baptize them in water if they weren't saved. I know this sounds elementary, but there are pastors that cannot put two and two together because they don't want to. So I'm saying the obvious, so you will see it. Now, uh, let's see here. Verse 13. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Verse 14. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? They've already been saved. They've already been baptized in water. Yet, they brought the big dogs to pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Is anybody else getting an epiphany? Why would they need Peter and John to come and pray that God would give them the Holy Spirit if they already have the Holy Spirit? Well, the answer is, of course, we know they already have the Holy Spirit. But there's a greater, a second work, a second thing that the, whole, the Lord wants to do in their lives. Verse 16, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then, that's Peter and John, they laid hands on them. So they put their hands and put them on them. And then they received the Holy Spirit. Interesting. Verse 18. And when Simon, remember the sorcerer who knows the supernatural realm, saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. Saying, give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, Peter was not very kind in his reply. And not very okay with it. But we'll leave that for another day. What I want you to see here is why in the world would this guy who's an ex-sorcerer, who's turning to God because he sees power, he, he goes and sees these guys laying hands on people, and something is happening. What is happening to these people that he says, I want that kind of power? Were they speaking in tongues? I don't know. Did they fall down under the weight of the presence of God? Maybe. Did they start acting funny and stagger like a drunk, like, hallelujah? Did they laugh? I don't know. I don't know what happens. All I know is something had to happen wonderful that was noticeable, because if they would have just been like this, I don't think he'd be asking for that kind of power. I don't think he would be impressed with a lot of church services in, in our world. I think he would show up and watch his swaying to the music and say, these people have no power. And I don't mean that critically, but I'm saying something physical, manifesting, reality has to happen. And then there's a shift. There is a power. This is not just wishy-washy, good-feeling kind of stuff. This is reality. I want to go to Acts chapter 10. I know I need to go faster. 
I'll try not to talk too fast or it'll be a, a waste of time. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many came with Peter. So what? The Jewish people with Peter are shocked. Because why? The Holy Spirit is about to drop, is what pretty much dropped on them. As many came with Peter, verse 45, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Listen to how they knew. Verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So Peter gets called to this guy's house, starts giving the basic, simple salvation message of Jesus. And while he's giving the most basic thing about Jesus dying on the cross, you repent of your sins, the Holy Spirit just falls upon these people as they're believing. And Peter and the other guys with him are like, oh no, what did we just do? We, like, like in their culture, that was like, they didn't think these people could even get saved because they were not Jewish. And then, all of a sudden, these people that have never read Acts chapter 2 spontaneously start speaking in tongues. And they look at each other and say, well, I guess they're one of us now. Because they're talking in tongues. So, we conclude. The baptism has just happened to them. So, let's baptize them in water too. That sounds like a good idea. So, they're like, we'll just, we'll just baptize them in water because apparently God accepts them. So, uh, verse... 47, can anyone forbid water? I'm, uh, all right, I'm going to go for the sake of time on to the next one. Acts chapter 19. I love this one. I just think this is a hilarious story. Acts chapter 19. And it happened, verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, famous Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, if you came across a modern-day Christian, and they said, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yep, I'm a disciple. You say, awesome. And then, would you be like Paul and say, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Do you think you would offend anybody? Why would Paul ask a question like that unless it was possible that a disciple could be saved and not receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is this, is this making sense or is this like too logical? <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just teasing. I'm teasing. I should shut my mouth. And this is their response. And <laughs> some people really live like this. So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. We've never heard of him. And he said to them, into what were you baptized? And they said into John's baptism, like John the Baptist. They're like, oh, you are way behind. You are like way in like early Matthew. We, we are way further along in the book of Acts. Let's bring you up to speak because a lot's happened. All right. Verse 4. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people they should believe on him who would come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they redunked them in the water. And then in verse 6, And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, 
and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So those are the stories about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, and I believe even the whole New Testament. And I tried, and maybe I missed one, but I, I tried to thumb through and make sure I looked at all the stories. Because I wanted you to see, through stories, concepts. Because in the New Testament, there's not a lot of plain Jane, black and white teaching on this. But there are stories that give you an idea of what it looks like and what it sounds like. And so, like I said, many people have been very frustrated because they say, Daniel, I've been prayed for, I tried it, I tried the Shakababa, Hyundai, Toyota, all those things, and it doesn't work for me. Listen, I just want to say a couple of things. Number one, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you don't have to you don't have to conjure this up. You don't have to try really hard and get spiritually constipated and get a serious face on. I think we just overcomplicate things a lot. If it's of God, then it's going to be of God. And you don't need to stress trying to think of all the ways you need to make this happen. I just want to take the pressure off. And I want to encourage you, when you're around other people or praying for other people, try to take the pressure off too. Because the goal is not the evidence. The goal is not just to get your, your prayer language, even though that is really beneficial. The goal has to do with a person. And that person's already inside of you, already accepted you, already loves you, and he wants to fill you. Over and over and over again for the rest of your life. To, the, to the, at least the point where your people are healed by your shadow. Which is what happened in the New Testament. Where people would walk, people would be bringing them up and be like, here, give me your handkerchief. And they would lay it on people and they'd be healed. That's what happens when you, when you, when you live in baptism after baptism after baptism. And so I just want to encourage you today not to be freaked out, not to be wigged out, but to understand that we're talking about a very biblical idea. And I know that sometimes people make it weird, and I understand that, but the problem is, is they're already weird. They didn't, weird, people, weird people are just going to be around. That's just part, that comes with the job. So God is not afraid of weird people. And sometimes he'll even pour out his spirit on the weird ones just to test your humility. So tonight, I, I want to just kind of to, to land this plane with a final idea out of Luke chapter 11. I know it is already way later than I want it to be, but you guys were such a good audience, I had to keep going. So I want to look at Luke chapter 11. And Sherry, can you just jump down to the last verse? I want them to see the last verse, and then I'm going to come back to the top. So, in verse 13, Jesus says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So, I want you to see the context before we jump into this. Jesus is talking about, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, the Father is going to give you the Holy Spirit. But let's look at it in context, and let's go back up to verse 5. So Luke 11, verse 5. This is Jesus talking. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend 
and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So Jesus is talking, the context is persistently asking God. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. The tense of ask, seek, and knock is a present tense, which means keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, and keep knocking, and keep knocking. That's, that's what, what he's actually saying. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will, it will, it will be opened. If a son, that's who you are, asked for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Now here's that verse, 13. If you then, being evil, so loving, how, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So there's many that in the questions were weary because they had tried and they had prayed and they felt like a failure. What do we do with this? Well, you ask and you seek and you knock and you don't get dejected because many, many revivals have come from people who kept going after it. William Seymour, who was an African man, well, African-American, who was kind of the, 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 the leader of the Azusa Street Revival in the early 1900s, he was praying for hours. He had heard stories of people receiving the baptism. And he just kept going after it. And he would spend hours, hours. And I'm not saying you have to spend hours. But he just kept going until it came upon him. Not he conjured it up. And when the power of the Holy Spirit came upon him, it led to a revolutionary revival where people said, I want that. And they traveled all the way to California to a place called Azusa Street because they said, I've heard of this. I want this. I'm going after this. And so if you guys want to stand up, Katie, you want to make this sound spiritual. And I want, I want to have a little bit of ministry time. I know it's later than I want it to be, but God's just going to have to work really well for us. So, what I want to do in just a moment is, if you have never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you would say, Daniel, I want that for myself, I would like, don't do it just yet, but in a moment, I'm going to have you just kind of come to the front here. And if you are saying, Daniel, I've already received the baptism, but I need to be filled with power. And I'm hoping that a faith and a hunger is rising up in all of you guys tonight. But in just a moment, I just want whoever wants to be baptized or filled to come up. We're not going to get all, you know, hyped up 
and psyched up. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, I believe it looks differently for every one of us, but from my experience, I became physically weak in my body. And I just started to feel like a well springing up in me. And I wasn't even sure, like, is this me or is this God? Is this me? But I felt this nudge, this this pressure from inside of me. And so I just began to just open the faucet and to let it out. And so the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and it might look differently, but you have control on whether you speak in tongues or a lot of dynamics, but it will feel good to get it out when he comes upon you. The Holy Spirit, it does not work like the demonic realm. He will not take over your body. He will not overpower your will. He will flow through you, but you always have the choice to quench it. So I want to encourage you not to quench it, but not to be psyched out by trying too hard. Is this making sense? So we're going to have a handful of people. We've already talked to them so um, that are going to pray for you. But as Katie plays right now, if you want the baptism or just to be filled, please just come up here to the front. And just do that this time. All right, so in just a moment, I think there's a few of us, Tim and John and whoever else you have. We're just going to kind of walk down. We're going to lay hands on you because that's what they did in the New Testament. And quite honestly, you know, some of us might, you might hear some people praying in tongues. Just roll with it. <laughs> Don't be psyched out by that. But they're going to just start praying at this time. Everybody who's kind of back there, feel free to just kind of intercede. Feel free to pray as well. And we're just take a few moments just to press into God.
praise you, Jesus. Just continue in ministry. Just stay there. Don't, don't, don't rush away. If, if you have received the grace of a, a spiritual language, I just could you just join me right now just in the, in the room? Just, just begin to sing in your spiritual language right now. And if this is not something you have had experienced in your life, just, just listen to the voices as we begin to sing in the Holy Spirit right now. So let's just sing in His presence. Paul said, I will sing with my spirit. Go ahead. Go ahead. Paul said, I will sing with my spirit. I will sing with my spirit. You say, I've never done it before. Well, just go ahead. Just go ahead. Let the Holy Spirit give you the language. Come on, let your belly, let it come out of your innermost being. Jesus said, like rivers of living water out of your innermost being. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. I just really believe that there's a healing grace right now. The Holy Spirit is wanting to heal us of, a, of an offended heart where it concerns the things of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't want you to be offended because somebody has said something in a wrong way. Let Him heal your innermost being. Let Him heal your heart. He loves you. He wants to touch you. Lord, I pray for anyone and everyone in the room who's been wounded by things concerning the Holy Spirit where people put demands on us. I just pray, God, right now, if you've been hurt, just say, I forgive them right now, Lord. I forgive them in the name of Jesus. And I receive, I receive the grace of your Spirit. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God.
Praise the Lord. Have you received the Holy Spirit tonight? Do you feel a touch? Do you feel the presence of the Lord? Amen. Did anyone receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit to your understanding of it? Did you, does anybody here have a testimony like, I believe the Holy Spirit came upon me tonight? Anybody? Amen. Praise God. Was it the first time or is a refilling? Refilling. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. How did, how did the, can you, do, real quick, did you, did, what was it that, uh, what was the manifestation? Was it just a feeling? Yeah. Mine comes out in deep joy and laughter a lot of times. Yeah. And it, also with the prayer language, but the, the deeper feeling is definitely joy and laughter. Praise God. How many could use some joy in your life? Amen. Amen. Anybody else want to joy? Amen. Praise God. Well, was it, don't you appreciate Daniel bringing such a great word? I, uh, is the mic popping for me right now? So that, all that was was just warfare, but he fought well, and great word, Daniel. Thank you for bringing it. God bless you. We're going to go ahead and dismiss you. The fire is burning out there. Hope you guys will hang out in fellowship. A little bit later, we're going to put things away if you want to help us with that. You're more than welcome. God bless you guys. We'll see you Sunday and uh, for Sunday morning worship right here in the tent. God bless you. Thank you.